0: Welcome to another episode of Social PR Secrets. My name is Lisa Beyer, and I will be your host. Today's guest is Cameron Harold. He is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and he is the CEO and founder of multiple companies. The most recent is the COO Alliance. Today, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite books that Cameron wrote is called Meetings Suck. In 2020, we could rename that to Zoom Meetings Suck. Either way, we're going to talk about meetings and how to optimize all business meetings, and also time management skills. Whether you're a CEO, entrepreneur, um, just getting out in the professional world, or even a college student, anybody can learn from these extremely valuable time management skills that Cameron is going to share and more. Welcome, Cameron. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Social PR Secrets. I am here today with Cameron Harold. Hey Cameron, how are you?
1: Good Lisa, good to see you again. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, so you are the author of many books um, and the founder of many successful businesses. Um, But what we're here to talk today about is one of my favorite books is called Meeting Suck. And you are just brilliant, I've seen you speak at Baby Bathwater um, to CEOs, entrepreneurs about all different subjects, including time management. So before we get into it, why don't you just do us the grace of telling us the journey of how you got to where you are today? And sure. I have to say that I did use your company that you sold, or I don't know, I'll let you tell the story. Okay. Else, yeah. Sure,
1: sure. Yeah. So I was groomed as an entrepreneur. Um, my father and mother raised the three kids to be entrepreneurs. Uh, my dad ran his own company. My mom's parents both ran their own company and my dad's father was the CEO as well. So all we ever really knew was running your own business. And we were really groomed to do that. So that was my whole life. By the time I was 18, I'd had about 16 different little business ventures. I actually did a talk that's on the main ted.com website about raising entrepreneurial kids about 10 years ago. Um, so from there, I had my first real company when I was 20 years old. I had 12 full-time employees by the time I was 21. While I was in university for three years, I ran my own house painting business for the three years I was in school. Graduated from university with no debt, bought a house, and uh, started coaching entrepreneurs. But I was coaching real entrepreneurs 31 years ago. So before coaching was really a thing, I started coaching entrepreneurs as part of a franchise company, coached a bunch of franchisees, um, opened up the West Coast of the United States for a group called College Pro Painters, hired a guy named Kimball Musk, and hired Kimball's cousin Peter Reeve, who built Solar City. They were kind of first early, you know, names that I would have coached again 30 years ago. Um, Left College Pro Painters and I was brought on as a partner in a chain of auto body collision repair shops. It was called Boyd Auto Body in Canada. In the US, it was called Gerber Auto Collision. And I left right as we were taking that company public uh, and I became president of a private currency company. So kind of like what Bitcoin is doing today, but we did it 20 years ago, built that company up and we sold it to a US public company. And I left and joined my best friend who was building up a small company called uh, 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And I joined Brian as his second-in-command, as his COO. I helped grow the company. When I walked in the door, I was the 14th employee. When I left six and a half years later, we had 3,100 employees system-wide. We'd gone from 2 million to 106 million in revenue. We ranked as the number two company in all of Canada to work for. So I started getting asked to do a lot of speaking events, um, started doing paid speaking events, which I've now done in 26 countries on six continents that I've been paid to speak. Um, I started getting asked to put my content into a book so that people could get my content in an easier fashion to share with their employees. So I've written five books. I've written Double Double, Meeting Suck, Free PR, The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs that I co-authored with Hal Elrod, and then um, Vivid Vision as my five books. And then I also started a podcast called the Second in Command Podcast, where we only interview COOs. Everybody else interviews the CEO. I wanted the rest of the story. And then uh, I started an organization called the COO Alliance, which is the only network of its kind in the world for the second in command. And then I've been coaching CEOs and their CEOs or COOs now for the last 13 years as well. So that's kind of me.
0: That's a lot. Okay. So that's basically more than like five or 10 people have done and, you know, up until age 40 and you've done like all of these things. So, so that's a lot. lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Um, overachiever, maybe. <laughs>
1: I'm not 40. I'm not 40 though. No, no. I've got some gray hair to prove it. So. I'm,
0: well, I'm just saying like whatever, even you know in a lifetime. Most people don't do that. Um, but what I was going to ask you is, well, first of all, I've used 1-800-GOT-JUNK like five times in the past oh. year because we just moved and they're still an awesome company. And they, they're like, I'm like, hey, I know the co-founder.
1: Okay.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. So that's awesome. So you, So out of your five books, I'm just curious, like what is, do you have a favorite one?
1: Wow. Do I have a favorite? I I have favorites for different reasons. I mean, I really liked Double Double because I codified all of the systems on how to grow great companies. And I think I did a really good job of giving people the step-by-step instructions of how to really grow a great brand and turn your company to a magnet for people. And it's had a big impact. I really like Vivid Vision because it's created such a huge stir in companies. It was kind of the missing piece for companies where they didn't know how to align their employees and suppliers and customers. And Vivid Vision did that. I like free PR because we really wrote a Bible on on like a step-by-step instructions on how to generate your own free publicity. Um, Meetings suck. I love just because it solves a huge problem and people are buying it for every employee. So, I mean, in terms of revenue, that one's great because instead of buying one copy or four copies, they're buying 75 or they're buying 300, you know, they're buying it for every employee to read so that employees understand not only how to run meetings, but also how to show up and attend them and participate in them. And the reality is, most people have been complaining about meetings without any idea how to do it. Uh, And then to be asked by Hal Elrod to be his co-author for the Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs just was really fun to be able to work with such an amazing person. So yeah, hard to pick. It's It's like, which is your best child, right? My favorite child.
0: Yeah, yeah, true, true. Well, I mean, I have, there's a special place in my heart for the free PR book. I mean, I recommend that all the time, all the time. And, you know, I recommend it for my clients to read it just so that they can get an education. um, They can ask the right questions and even do some things to help supplement what we do for them. So that is definitely an awesome book. Um, You know, and meetings suck, if we can just back up a second there, because, you know, if it really if you really look at meetings, you know, it really starts with time management. We were talking about this before we started the interview. Um, and it's not just meetings, it's even like classrooms or, um, you know, courses that you're, you might be teaching. Like you're putting, you're basically like you have to manage a meeting or you have to manage a course, you have to man- manage a conference or, you know, some sort of an event. And it really does all boil down to time management and they don't teach that in school. You know, they really don't. My daughter's a freshman in college right now. And like 15 minutes ago, I was like literally about to cry because I'm just trying to help her get structure and get good habits. And, you know, when you're in this pandemic it makes it even worse. So how do you even start with like the time management aspect? Where did you learn it?
1: Well, so I learned learned it at College Pro Painters because we had to very quickly start up a company and hire a bunch of people and operate a business and we were 20 years old. So they taught us, you know, coaching, delegation, time management, project management, conflict management, um, you know, production marketing, they really gave us the systems on how to grow a company. So I learned it there and, and a lot of it comes down to doing everything with intention and also trying to get the highest ROI off of my time or my people that those are the two things you don't really get back. Right. And money. So for me, I think of meetings the same way. A meeting, the way I define it is anytime two or more people are meeting either in person over the phone or over video to discuss a project or move something forward. And, and so there's systems that the best companies in the, in the world use for these that, you know, if you've ever been in a really well-run meeting, you can just see the difference between the, 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 the ones that most people complain about. And then I was coaching a client who I've coached for seven years. We were at about the three-year mark and, and they've gone from 40 employees up to 700 and, um, you know, I've been coaching them that whole time and they were complaining about, or they're just saying that their employees were complaining about meetings all the time. And I said, well, have you trained your employees on how to run a meeting? And the CEO said, no. And I said, have you trained your employees on how to show up at them, how to participate in them, how to, you know, collaborate? And, and, and he said, no, not at all. And I said, well, then meetings don't suck. You suck at running meetings. Right. He kind of laughed realizing that we almost lose the the right to complain unless we've actually tried to get some basic training. So I decided to codify um, how to run meetings and then how to get people to participate and, and even how to opt out of meetings because you might have higher priority work to be working on.
0: Just say no to meetings.
1: Well, the reality is like at the end of the day, a company is paying you to get results. And if you can get more results by not going to a meeting, by working on other stuff, the people that are doing the meeting can do it without you you know, even if that means that someone will make a decision for you, you might be okay with that so that you can actually work on other work. So we also have to get better at inviting people, only the key people that need to be at a meeting and not worrying that we're going to hurt someone's feelings if we don't invite them. You know, this is not a kumbaya group hug. We only have three inputs. We have people, time, and money, and we have to get the highest output or the highest ROI on those three inputs.
0: I wrote that down. People, time, yeah. and money. I <laughs> was one of my notes. I wanted to talk to you about from your you know,
1: everything. Everything runs off those three inputs, right? People, time, and money are the inputs. What's the ROI off those three things? And and in meetings and time management are critical for that.
0: So, can we dissect that a little bit and and start with people, then time, then money? Like, what what can we do to optimize it?
1: Well, so if we start on the people one, it's really to look to hire or even outsource or contract A players, right? Bring on really good contractors that are A's, bring on really good employees that are A's. The data has shown this time and time again, that one A player replaces three C's. So if you've got a few kind of average people, if you bring the right people in, you'll get a higher return on investment because they're They're more skilled. You know, A players are already trained in time management. They're trained in project management. They're trained in delegation. They're trained in coaching. They're trained in email management. Like all of the soft skills of leadership, A players are already great in that. So you no longer have to manage them. You no longer have to hold them accountable. They self-manage, they're self-accountable, right? They're aligned or they're asking questions. You don't have to try to put personal development plans in place to grow them because they're growing themselves every day. They're hungry for learning. So that's one on the people side. The second one on the people is making sure that people are working on the right stuff, right? So our role as leaders is to make sure that people are working on the right things and that they know what we want in terms of an output or a result on the thing that they're working on. So they have to almost like a creative brief in marketing. They have to know what done or what completed looks like. Um, And then our other role as a, as a leader is to grow them in two areas, to grow their skills and to grow their confidence. And the more we can grow their confidence, the more they'll grow their skills, the more we help them with their skills, the more their confidence goes up. It's almost like they're walking up two ladders with one foot on a confidence ladder and one foot on a skills ladder. And if we're shaking any of those one ladder, the other ladder, they won't get any better. So we always have to grow their skills, grow their confidence, grow their skills, grow their confidence. And then on the money side, it's just deciding. And and again, on the time side, not how long do I think it will take to do something, but how much time do I want to spend doing it, right? If I said to you, I need you to clean the house, it'll only take a half hour. Oh, no, it'll take way more than a half an hour. But if I said, we only have a half an hour, I only want you to spend a half an hour. In fact, 29 minutes would be great. Do as good as you can at cleaning the house as possible in 20 minutes. 29 minutes, every kid is okay with that. So in, in delegating work activities, we have to tell people how much time we want them to spend on a certain project and how much money we want them to spend on a certain project so that we get a better ROI off their time and money.
0: And I think when you do that to yourself, like I do the Pomodoro method all the time when I'm writing or doing anything like, okay, I have an hour and a half to do this. And when the hour and a half is done, then I have to like move on to something else. And it really does help kind of put you into this box of like, okay, you know, I'm gonna complete this. And, you know, when you get into a project and all of a sudden like, you know, you think it's been an hour but it might've only been 10 minutes, you know and you got something done. And some, a lot of things take a lot less if you don't associate a time.
1: Well, it's like Parkinson's law says that work expands to fill the space that we give it. So if I think about booking a meeting the way that I first think about booking a meeting I'm not gonna book an hour meeting. I'm going to think about, I need to get some people together to discuss some stuff What are we gonna discuss? What are we gonna debate? What are we gonna look at, et cetera? What are the things in the, What's like, what's the agenda? What are we gonna cover in what order? And then how many minutes do we want to spend on each agenda item? And then add up all the items, you add up all the minutes and that tells you how long to book the meeting for. But if I only have 26 minutes worth of agenda, why am I booking it for an hour? Book it for 30 minutes, right? You'll get it done in less time. But people don't think about the agenda critically so they end up over committing on the amount of time, which gives people a bigger container to waste time in, which now gets people upset because we wasted all this time.
0: Yes, definitely. So since I read your book and started influencing things, so I changed on my calendar. Uh, my meeting times are now not a half hour, an hour there, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, uh, you know, saving, shaving off a t- 10 minutes in every increment and it works. And on my agendas, I'm doing that as well I'm saying okay we're going to talk about this for one minute you know, this next topic has two minutes you know you have the floor you have three minutes oh. and whatever we don't get to we'll have to reconvene at another time so it kind of puts well, the pressure on like okay we gotta we gotta get to my get to the point and move on
1: And the reality is that if you have other items that get brought up that aren't on the agenda they probably require rethinking who needs to talk about those separately. Just mm-hmm. because people are in the room doesn't mean they have to all talk about those other topics so yeah you reconvene for a short meeting again to cover off those next two topics etc
0: so what does the perfect meeting look like
1: perfect meeting starts exactly on time perfect meeting finishes five minutes prior to the scheduled ending time perfect meeting would be booked for half the, fu- the time you first think about booking it for so it's like let's get together for an hour you book it for 30 minutes A perfect meeting has a purpose, outcome and agenda in the meeting notes at the time you request people to come. And you critically think about who really needs to be there for that meeting and how do you get them involved in the meeting. If you can't get them involved, don't invite them. Those would be the, the big starting points.
0: And then came Zoom. It sounds like everything you just said can apply to a Zoom meeting, but for some reason, Zoom meetings are just much worse.
1: It totally does apply to Zoom. There's a couple of things that, that work well on Zoom. You must be on video. You can't be off video. It doesn't matter where, because that way we know whether you're paying attention or if you're disconnected, And it's, it's, but you need to be on video. Um, secondly, you put your phone and your email down so that you're paying attention during the meeting. If you're too busy and you need to work on your other stuff, leave the meeting, go work on your other stuff. Like you have competing priorities. You're a big person. Pick, pick which priorities you want to work on. Um, Meetings have to start on time. One of my biggest frustrations currently with Zoom around the password logins is you slowly have to let people into the meeting, which means you kind of need to be there. If you're not five minutes early, you're late. So really you should be coming into the Zoom room a minute or two before the Zoom meeting starts, not at the time of the meeting so you're joining two minutes later because the meeting still has to start on time.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: I love that. I set a rule internally that I teach employees that if you walk around saying, sorry, I'm late, what you're really saying is F you, I'm disrespectful, my time is more valuable than yours.
0: So crazy. I just wrote down all these notes to have this talk with my daughter when we get off because she's having time management problems. And like one of the things I just wrote down is basically when you don't show up, like you didn't show up to your tutor yesterday, you basically told her to fuck off, you know? Yeah, I mean, I just wrote, I literally wrote down that exact thing. I mean, it's just, when you don't show up for class, you're telling your instructor, you don't care. You know, you,
1: F you, school. Gotta be there for those people.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, any other tips for Zoom meetings? I mean, that those were really awesome tips to be there five minutes early, I love that. And I think that should just be for any meeting in general, but Zoom is just like, you know, I don't think we're gonna get away from Zoom. It's not like a fad. It's gonna be, you know, happening in 2021. Is there anything that we could be doing better?
1: Well, one is one is to understand the purpose and outcomes of the meeting, to understand what your backdrop and video need to be, right? So if you're in a casual meeting or you're in an interview, you can understand what you need. But if you're in a, a meeting that you might need to have, um, you know, thinking or debate, maybe you need to be in a quieter space, maybe you need a whiteboard, maybe you need your notes. You need to think through a little bit critically. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think otherwise they're virtually the same thing.
0: Yeah. Um, can we switch gears a little bit and just talk about um, like CEOs and how CEOs can maximize their time? I, I was kind of sharing with you this the LinkedIn live that you did, which I love those. So if you're not following Cameron on LinkedIn or connect with him on LinkedIn, because you do these kind of like off the cuff, maybe they're not off the cuff, but they, you know, I just see him whenever I see him. Um, and they're just like great words of wisdom and if you're an entrepreneur or a ceo or even if you're not and you are working for one you just need to know these things to work with them and make them the best that they can be
1: they are they are completely off the cuff videos they're just a video that i decide to do when i'm inspired and i have an idea normally it comes right after a uh, coaching call with a client so i'll be coaching a client i'll be like god i wish everybody knew this and so i just get off my call and i hop on Streamyard and i push it out to like seven places um, so if I think about how you want me to talk about how to work with entrepreneurs or how, how well, entrepreneurs
0: what you talked about in the video is how CEOs can maximize time. You went into the whole, you know, people, time, money thing, but you also went into, you know, having the right people around you and people that are going to, you know, help take, take stuff off your plate and you're not basically babysitting.
1: Yeah. So kind of the unique ability stuff. So, yeah, and, yeah. And so because these are really off the cuff, this isn't necessarily something formulaic It could just be some random idea that I've really had, which I guess, follow me on LinkedIn and you'll get all this stuff. So um, at the end of the day, people have stuff on their plates and the entrepreneur's job is to try to work in their unique ability, try to work on stuff that they're really, really good at, that gives them energy that they get better at the more they work at it. And that means delegating everything except genius. So it means getting all the stuff off your plate that you're incompetent at, getting stuff off your plate you're competent at, and even getting stuff off your plate that you're excellent at but you don't necessarily love doing. And slowly trying to delegate stuff to people who love doing that stuff, right? So you surround yourself with this unique ability team, as Dan Sullivan puts it, where people are working on the stuff they're really good at and get energized from. That's one starting point. Another one is to not take the monkey off people's backs. Like, don't let your employees give you work. That um, your job is to grow them so they can do the work. Your job is to grow their confidence so they can do the work, but it's not to do their work. It's also not to think for them. So if employees come to me and say, you know, hey, do you have two minutes? I've got a question. I usually say, no, can we talk about it during our one-on-one? Or can you book some time later? But I'm working on a project right now. And then typically they'll say, you know, what do you think about this? And I'll just respond, well, what do you think about it? And if they go, I don't know, then I'll say, well, then go away and think about it and come back and tell me what you think. And then we can talk. Or if they tell me what they think, then I'll just be like, then do it. Like, I don't want to be there to make their decisions. So more often than not, when employees are coming to you and taking up that time, it's because you're not growing their confidence or growing their roles and responsibilities or growing their alignment with certain core, core projects, or you haven't worked on your good one-on-one meetings with them to be able to grow them during those meetings. You know, So trying to keep people aligned that way. Um, and inspired that way and then I guess the last one would be to remember that our core job again as a leader is to grow people right to grow their skills and grow their confidence at the end of the day work needs to be done but not necessarily by us
0: yeah I love that I love um, also the way I like to look at it is if you're going to come don't come to me with a problem come to me with three solutions to the problem or three ideas on how we can help figure this out and it doesn't have to be the right one
1: yeah, exactly, but, but come to me with something to show me you're thinking about it because otherwise like, I'm not gonna do your thinking for you.
0: Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, can we switch gears to free PR? Mm-hmm. I really love that book and I'd love to hear. You're, you're great at generating your own PR because basically you wrote the book and you've gotten tons of, of PR, but what are some tips that, that you have seen that work for you um, that are some of your favorites?
1: Sure. And I co-authored the free PR with one of my former coaching clients, Adrian Solominovich, who was the CEO of Canvas Pop and of uh, D- uh, DNA 11. So I I had written the full book, pre- free PR. I was ready to go to press with it. And I, I gave it to Adrian to have him read it. And he said, you know, you're missing a bunch of stuff on digital that you weren't really doing back in your 1800 Thunder got junk days, but I've done a lot with digital PR. So he came on and, and helped me rewrite it. And we, we launched it together, which took it really to the next level. It's really strong. So I, got my, I generated my first press in 1986. So the first press coverage that I was in, that I generated was in 1986. I'd been in the media before that for skiing, for ski racing, but little articles, but I always realized how silly the articles were because we weren't some big fancy ski team. It just seemed strange that the newspaper kept taking our pictures. Um, And then I saw my dad getting interviewed by the media a lot. And I realized that my dad's just a guy, like he's nothing special. And I'd read the articles and go, this is so silly because I knew the rest of the story. So I always realized that news wasn't necessarily news. You know, it wasn't as, or it wasn't necessarily newsworthy. You know, that at the end of the day, every outlet, whether it's a a TV show or a radio station or a podcast or a blogger or an e-zine or a magazine or a newspaper or an online, whatever, the only way they make their money is by selling advertising. Right. That most outlets don't make money off the circulation. They make money from advertising. And the only way they get advertising dollars is if they have a whole bunch of readers or listeners or viewers of their stuff. So they need to have really good bases of readers or whatever. And the only way they have that is if they have good stories. So what you're doing is giving them a good story, which helps them get more eyeballs. And at the end of the day, imagine being a writer and having to be creative every single day and come up with a new story. I'd hate my life. But if I have an idea, if somebody said, hey, write a story about a ring or write a story about a teacup, I could write a story. Right. It'd be a bad one, but at least I'd have an angle. So what I realized was if you contact the writers and just say, hey, do you have two minutes? I think I have a good story for you. Most of them are apt to say yes, especially if you phone them, because they get about 100 emails a day. And you might get through one out of 100 emails, but they only probably get four phone calls a day. So you've got a 25% chance of them listening to your voicemail message if you leave one. And your voicemail is, hey, it's Cameron calling. I think I have a good story for you. Here's my phone number. Like You You get them to phone you so that then you give them the story words, you know, person to person. And it's just a really powerful way to convey the energy of a short story with a couple of small little snippets or five bullet points about the story. And they'll usually be interested or... They might say, no, I hate that. At which point I go, well, I've got a second idea. What do you think about this? I give them a second story. And then, well, you know, get into more detail about how do you understand the audience and how do you craft an angle and where do you get the contact information? All that's in the book for EPR too.
0: Today, um, you know, the journalists are spread very, very thin because of, you know, budgets and layoffs and, you know, they're required to do 10 different jobs, you know, they're required to be the digital artist and the creative director, the writer, the optimizer. So, so many things are falling on the journalist's plate and, you know, and it's not like you, it's much harder. It's impossible to call a journalist and pitch a story unless you have their mobile number because just landlines don't really exist and people are working from multiple different outlets. So you really just have to, you know, do your research and you don't necessarily have to have a relationship with a journalist, but if you can figure out who the right journalist is for the right publication and pitch them the right story, they're going to listen because if you're going to save them time and you have a creative story and you have excellent sources and it's relevant to their audience, then
1: bingo. Yeah, And I talk a lot about that where I say, you know, know your target, know your audience. Um, you really have to understand, the like, as an example, let's say for an example that I was going to contact, you know, the Wall Street Journal or Forbes magazine or Fortune magazine or, you know, your podcast or, you know, a blogger, those are all very different business outlets. You know, you have a business listener, but that's a different person than reads reads Forbes magazine. It's a different person that reads Entrepreneur magazine. It's a different person that listens to John Lee Dumas. So you have to understand the audience that your writer or person communicates with. So, that you can position or spin your story so that it matters for their audience. Like, I can tell my story of the COO Alliance, right? It's the only network of its kind in the world for the entrepreneur, for the COO. I can spin that story for an entrepreneur angle. I can spin it for a corporate angle. I can spin it as an HR story or position it, right? I can position it for Forbes magazine, but I need to understand who I'm positioning it for
0: yeah and that's the whole thing is positioning it and you can that's the part that a lot of um brands don't understand when it comes to public relations it's just you know just because this publication did this story doesn't mean it's not going to be able to be the you know spin it a different way for a different publication for a different audience it's just the way you're telling the story um so yeah that's a, a great point um so one thing i also wanted to talk to you about is so you um are in one of my chapters in Digital Detox Secrets, and we talk a lot about um, depression, um, CEOs, suicide, um, along those lines. But you're, you know, just from me following you, I, I see what you're doing, you're wearing your model of bracelets right now, and you, you know, are just, I, I feel like you would have some really good advice on what can entrepreneurs, agency owners, PR professionals, this audience what can they do in this era to balance in this digital world like we are we have never been more digitally connected because of the pandemic
1: yeah what what do you
0: do what advice do you give ceos
1: oh lots um so i'll kind of go again conscious stream of thoughts so um first one is to remember that none of this actually matters like this is just what we do to make money we're all just walking each other home like we're not getting out of this alive so we may as well have some fun while we're here Um, Secondly is I put my free time in my calendar first and I work my business around it. So I take 10 full week vacations every year and I put those 10 weeks into my calendar. I take every Saturday and Sunday off where I don't work Saturdays and Sundays. The exception might be a a live speaking event that I'm being paid to do. And because they pay me enough for it, I'll say yes. But um, I only work one out of every four Fridays in a month, technically one out of every four Fridays in a 13 week cycle, but I only work one out of four Fridays. The other three I take completely off. I finish every day at five o'clock or 5.30. Um, and I never work nights or weekends. So again, the exception might be if I really have to catch up on something tomorrow, I might work, but that's like one out of every 20 nights. It's just, I'm done it because I'm not going to catch up. I'm not going to get my list done of things I have to do because I'll just have another list. I'll set more projects. I'll big build bigger goals. I'll write a sixth book. Like I'll never be done but i think we lie to ourselves in saying we're just going to catch up and what we're doing is we're avoiding friends we're avoiding family we're avoiding ourselves um next one i guess would be on the on the digital connection we're not really connecting what we're craving is the human touch we're craving the physical intimacy or the the physical presence of other human beings that we can be around just to even be able to have coffee with somebody um like physical presence in a in a spiritual way not in a sexual way But just to be able to hang out with people, like I just came back from two days in Eden, Utah, hanging out with 80 entrepreneurs and their friends. And it was ridiculously fun. Like we were in costumes. We hung out for Halloween. We had brunches. We made lunches. We made late night dinners together. We just hung out for 48 hours. And it was amazing. And then when I was coming back on the plane last night, I thought maybe I'll just do a little bit of work on the plane. I was like, no, screw it. It's Sunday night. Like, why would I do work? So I didn't do work. I just listened to a business, like a book that I'm listening to for fun that isn't about business at all. Yeah and that's
0: actually like one of an example of one of the um the events that we met at baby bathwater mastermind and you know having that connection with your peers and and you know before the pandemic we were meeting twice a year sometimes three times a year and now with the pandemic like everything's canceled and you know whether it's with a professional peer group like the mastermind where you know these are like your your friends and or your family it's just it's really hard and i think you're right like we all are just craving like that that human connection and whenever we could have the opportunity to get it right now you have to really um you know appreciate it
1: yeah i think i think we have to fight for that because the reality is we all get you know we've heard the saying right we only get 24 hours in a day but the reality is we only sleep for 8 hours which means we're awake for 16 If we're working for eight hours, which is a typical nine to five day, what the hell are you doing with the other eight hours? Most people are wasting the other eight hours because eight hours is a lot of time to have hobbies and connect with friends and go for dinners or go for a run or go work out or play in a hobby or take a course or do something for fun. But most people just get sucked either into work or into social media or into television and end up wasting all their life.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, is that the ring that you're wearing? Is that the the ring that tracks your sleep? And
1: yeah, this is an aura ring that I use to track my sleep and my sleep patterns, just so that I, I'm looking at some stuff related to my diet and exercise and drinking and just trying to actually see the correlation, but also probably prove to myself the correlation that I sleep better on nights that I don't drink, or I sleep better on nights that I eat healthier, or I sleep better on, you know, nights that I eat earlier, that kind of stuff.
0: Have you tried the Apollo? No.
1: Wearable? What is that?
0: Um, it's a wearable. Um, one of the one of our friends at Baby Bathwater invented it, and so you wear it either on your wrist or your ankle, and you have like sleep mode, yoga mode, focus mode. It's kind of like it's it's vibrations. Um, so I've been using this to see, you know, if it it does actually. I put it on every morning and put the energy focus on, and um, but I'm testing out different things too, including drinking less, like. Yesterday was our first day on this diet and um, for the first time in a long time, I got an above 80 sleep score from, you know, basically like not having an alcohol and cleaning and eating clean food and
1: it works. I think, I think, you know, I already know a lot of that to be true. I think that's one of the reasons I'm wearing the bracelet is to force me to see it. Right. The analytics.
0: Yeah. You get to see the analytics.
1: So then I, then it forces me to go, okay, yeah, you know, i got to work on this a little better. Yeah.
0: You have it in black and white. Yeah. Well, Cameron, tell us what's happening now. What do you have ahead? What can we sign up for? Do you have any events happening? Any books we can buy?
1: My my real focus is growing the COO Alliance, which is the only network of its kind in the world for second in commands. Companies need to do at least 5 million or greater for them to be a member and there's no entrepreneurs allowed. It's just the second in command. So whoever is the COO, VP operations, whatever the title is, Um, and then yeah. I mean, that's, that's probably my entire focus. I mean, I do a lot of podcast interviews and and coaching with clients and stuff, but that all just happens organically. The big focus is that. And then my second in command podcast, people should definitely, definitely check that out. Uh, Cause we've had some amazing guests, you know, from Shopify and Bumble and the Cleveland Indians. We've had some really cool second in commands of amazing companies.
0: Awesome. Well, we will definitely, and we will follow you on LinkedIn and any other social media channels that we should know about.
1: I'm on Instagram, but you know, it's just a, a fun kind of platform. Facebook, I share most of my business lessons on Facebook and on LinkedIn.
0: Okay, great. Well, Cameron, so much, thank you so much for joining us and sharing why and how meetings don't have to suck. I really appreciate all your tips.
1: You're welcome. Thanks, Lisa. Great um, chatting with you again.